You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. What an amazing God we have. This morning we're going to start out with a few questions. The first question will probably be pretty easy for you um, because there's only a certain amount or there's only so many oceans in the world. Can anyone shout out which ocean is the deepest ocean? Pacific. There we go. The Pacific Ocean is the deepest ocean. Now, the second question will get a little more difficult. We had a few people in first service that knew it. I was very impressed. So there is a a very deep trench that is the deepest part of the deepest ocean, which is the Pacific Ocean. Does anyone know the name of that trench? Man. Impressive. The Mariana Trench. Now... If we take a peek at this map up here, you can see where the Mariana Trench is. There's China and Japan, Indonesia, Australia, Papua New Guinea, and there's the Mariana Trench. And do you see? There's something in red. Can anyone see what that says in red? It's it's almost impossible. But that's the answer to the third question. What's the deepest part of the trench? It's called Challenger's Deep. Challenger's Deep. It is 36,000 feet, the deepest part in the ocean. It was actually discovered in 1875 by the first ever global marine research journey conducted by a British naval vessel called the HMS Challenger. This is what the ship looked like. The HMS Challenger, preparing to sound, because that's how they figured out how, to, how deep things were. Now, they weren't totally accurate. They estimated that it was about 26,000 feet back in 1875. We've got a little bit better technology now, and we, have not, we now know it's 36,000 feet. So the use of these sounding ropes, they would drop them, and then the sound waves, and they'd use math and all of that stuff and try to figure out how deep it was right there. So in 1960, the first ever man-made expedition into the Challenger's Deep occurred. There was a French, or excuse me, a Swiss oceanographer named Jacques Picard and a U.S. Navy lieutenant and his name was Don Walsh and these two individuals dropped themselves down into the Challenger Deep. That's what they went down in. I'm not sure about you but I don't think I would have gone down in that because I don't think it was going to come back up. They even took a selfie of themselves while they were down there in 1960. There they are. I didn't know cell phones existed in 1960. Somehow they had a camera 
with the timer on it, in 1960, and they took a picture of themselves. 36,000 feet below the ocean. Well, it's kind of hard to fathom 36,000 feet. Let's take a look at this slide, and it might give you a little bit of taste of just how deep 36,000 feet is. You are familiar with Mount Everest. It's a lot deeper than Mount Everest. The Matterhorn. The, the Titanic is still lying in the ocean's floor, 3,800 meters. Now, I'm not sure what that equals in feet. Anyone really good at converting? Pretty deep. No? No takers on that? Look how, look how far commercial airlines fly. Not even, not even commercial airlines fly as high as deep as the Challenger deep in the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean. Well, here are a few facts still that show us the amazingness of the ocean. If we take a look at that, 70% of the Earth's surface covered by the ocean. 94% of all life on Earth is in the oceans, are in the oceans. And the average depth, the average depth is 12,200 feet. That is amazing. That is, that, it's hard to fathom the vastness and the depth of our oceans. But you didn't come here this morning to get a lesson on geography. You came here this morning to hear about something else that is um, incredibly deep. And what do you think your guess is on that? What have we been talking about so far? God's love. God's love for us. And so in our reading this morning, we're going to focus just on the very first verse. And then next week, Pastor Gerber is going to focus on the second verse. And the Sunday after that, I'm going to focus on the third verse. So here's that first verse. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And it's not a metaphor. This is not imagery. It is personal. God the Father has adopted you into his family. Let's make it more personal. Let's read it this way. See what kind of love the Father has for you, that you should be called a child of God. And so you are. You are a child of God the Father. You are a new creation. Because of the love God the Father has for you, he promised to rescue you from this broken world and from our sinful nature by sending his son Jesus the Apostle Paul puts it marvelously in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We read, Therefore, if, is, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is no ordinary type of love. Despite all of our sinful nature, our iniquities, our selfish sinfulness, he still calls us through the waters of holy baptism to be born again. We observed this amazing miracle this morning with friendly Sue. 
as she was baptized into God's family. Renly is a child of God. What an amazing, loving God we have. It is not a love that our sinful nature comes close to deserving. You see, when God, the creator of heaven and earth, spoke the world into existence, it was perfect. It was a perfect creation. But then something came into the world called sin. And since then, this perfect creation has been broken. And this perfect creation that has been broken has been groaning, groaning because of the pain of this sin, of this brokenness. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 writes about this groaning. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Adoption as sons, that's family. That's being, that's God, our Father, adopted. He adopted his children into a promise of being with him when we are redeemed for eternity. Even now, you are already a child of God. Through baptism and faith, you are no longer a slave to sin. I'm talking today, right now. John reminds us in the last part of that first verse. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And here it comes. And so we are. And so we are, and so you are. Right here, right now, you are a child of God. But this adoption did not come without a heavy, heavy price. When God put his plan of salvation into place back in Genesis chapter 3, he knew there was only one way to fix and to redeem this broken creation. And that was to send his one and only begotten son in the form of a humble little baby that would grow up to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God himself, the creator of the universe, he would need to manifest himself. Come here as true God, true man. Hang on that cross. Suffer on that cross. Die on that cross to be the perfect, the perfect sacrifice. And that was the only way it could happen. That's how deep our Father's love is for you. He sent his only son, his only begotten son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to save you and to save me. So when I read this verse early in the week, a song just popped immediately into my head. It's a song some of you may know, some of you may not know. But when I read about God's love 
God the Father's love, I thought of this song. How deep the Father's love for us. So let's take a stab at the first verse, and then we get to enjoy, after confession, the praise team singing the whole song. But take a look at these words as we sing them together this morning. Follow me. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the Chosen One bring many sons to glory. Sons to glory. His love for us is not just here and now. It is a forever love. It's a glorious love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a forever love. Today we celebrate All Saints Day in the Lutheran Church, and we celebrate it here at Trinity. It was about 14 months ago that I started visiting members of Trinity who couldn't make it to church anymore. And as I got to know their stories, you get to really love them, and, and you, it becomes a personal relationship. But it also became obvious that many of my new friends were not longed for this world. And seven of my new friends in the last 14 months, they're now with Jesus. That's reality. Death is a reality. But you know another reality? Jesus won. He, he won the battle over sin and death and the devil. And so that forever love, that's for you. Jesus, the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world, died on that cross. He suffered on that cross. And yes, he died on that cross, but he rose again. And my seven friends, they knew God's love. They understood John 3.16, that his love is eternal. It is immeasurable. We can't take Casey's tape out and measure God's love. We can't even measure God's love with modern technology. In the ocean, it is a gift, a free gift of God. You see, the groaning of this broken creation 
It's going to come to an end. It will come to an end when the Father sends His Son back into this brokenness on the last day. What a day that will be. He will make all things new. His creation will be redeemed forever. That will be a love realized that is so deep and so wide we can't imagine it. A love that will last forever. Praise be to God. Amen.